0: Stalwart Christian and uh, faithful to this church, loyal to this church. Um, when he cast his lot with us here several years ago, I, uh, I didn't know him well. Just knew him from a distance. But uh, to be honest, I uh, I have been just overly not shocked or surprised, but just continually amazed how the Lord has used them and how they've matured in the work of God and how the Lord has allowed them to be blessed and anointed to do great things for Him. And that's exciting. Amen. And I feel like this church is a part of that. Can you say amen? And uh, we appreciate he and his family, and we know it's a great sacrifice to travel. I know a little bit about that, traveling around and preach the gospel, but want them to know what a blessing that they are to the work of God. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and I want to read just one verse of scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, for the which calls, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, am persuaded everybody say persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed everybody say committed unto him against that day I want to read that last phrase I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against And uh, my title this morning probably will not make sense just from that verse of Scripture here at first, but just just walk with me a little while this morning. Would you do that? I want to preach to you the limitations of God, the limitations of God. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray for Holy Ghost anointing in this place this morning. Would you really pray fervently that the Lord would minister and touch in this house, God? your blessing upon the remainder of this service this morning praying God that you would touch people's lives stir people's souls draw people closer in Jesus name we thank you for it God would you worship him for a moment come on let's praise him hallelujah hallelujah praise the name of the Lord praise the name of the Lord it's good to have Evelyn with us in the house of the Lord been here for a few weeks, and I know that, uh, well, maybe she went back home came back. I don't know. But anyhow, I know it's been a blessing to the Boyd family, and we love her and appreciate her and such a sweet lady, and uh, I'm glad she's here. The limitations of God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Before I begin uh, talking about the limitations of God or even discussing God may have perimeters to his power. Let me tell you from the outset that I believe with all of my heart that we are serving a God with absolutely limitless power and ability. I certainly believe, and I believe that I could give testimony myself, and I understand that there is many in this congregation that could do likewise. But I believe that there is no disease that he cannot heal. There is no loss that he cannot recover. There is no yoke that he cannot destroy. There is no soul that he cannot save. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. There is no heartache that he cannot make bearable. There is no family that he cannot put back together. For my Bible says now unto him that is able to do it seating abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to shrink back. You don't have to reassess your prayer list this morning or your request unto the Lord. But my Bible says that He's exceedingly able to do beyond even what I ask or what my mind can conceive or imagine or think. And if that is not enough, Jesus made it abundantly clear that all power, not just some power, not just partial power, not just a little bit of power, but all power is at His disposal both in heaven and in earth. Does anybody hear me preach this morning? He's an all-powerful God. Amen. To every problem, He has a solution. To every question, my Jesus has the answer. However, there is limitations to what God can do. There is boundaries that God cannot cross. There are certain things that he will not trespass. It sounds strange to say that we serve a God with limitless power, and at the same time and almost in the same sentence, for us to say that we serve a God whose abilities are limited. It seems like a contradiction to speak of God, of a God who is almighty, yet who has boundaries that he may not cross. But yet this is true. It is factual. It is biblical. We see it in the Word of God. And as important as it is to understand what God can do, amen, it's important for every sinner to be able to realize this morning that God is able to forgive sin. It's vitally important that every saint of God realize that no matter what you walk through, no matter what you go through, no matter how intense the trial is in your life, the Bible talks about fiery trials, intense trials, and we know that there's long-enduring trials that sometimes we have to go through, and there's diverse temptations that we have to endure. But I think it's important for us to always realize that God can and God will see us through those situations. God will walk with us. He is a friend, as we sing many times, that is closer than a brother. He said he would never leave me, nor would he ever forsake me. And he said also that he would be with me even to the end of the world. So it's important that we understand what God can do. But it's also equally important that we understand, if we really seek to please God and do the will of God, that we understand what God cannot do or what God will not do. What is it then that sets limits on God? that can prescribe a boundary and say to him, you can't pass over, or he refuses to cross that particular line that has been drawn. What is it that is so powerful that it can limit an unlimiting, the unlimited power of God? There are at least three types or categories of things that Can and do limit God. First of all, God is limited by His own nature. The very fact that He is God prescribes some boundaries that He cannot cross. Because first of all, I want to tell you today that God cannot fail. People can fail. We're seeing that economies can fail. Institutions can fail. Governments can fail. But God, will still be God at the end of the day. And he cannot fail. Amen. God has never been defeated. He's never been outmaneuvered. He's never been outsmarted. He's never been caught unawares. But he is triumphant in every situation. In every circumstances of life. God never is caught off guard. This is why... The Word of God reminds us, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. I want to take that a step further. It's not only who can be against us, but what could stand against us if God be for us? Aren't you thankful that God is for His people? He's for the church. He's for every Holy Ghost saint of God that is in this place. Amen. Not only that, he's for every soul that is in this house being saved. He's for every person in this place walking in victory. He wants every person in this house. He doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't stand back with his arms crossed and a sneer on his face uh, waiting for you to stumble and to make a mistake. Oh no. God is for you. He did to understand that this morning. That God wants you to succeed in your spiritual quest. God wants you to make heaven your home. God wants your soul to be saved in the end. He, he, he is He's done everything that he possibly can. He went to a cross. He shed his life's blood that you could be saved. He sent his spirit so that you could be an overcomer. He's done everything that he could do to make you a success. With, with, with all the limitless supplies and gifts and accommodations and tools and weaponry that God has given his church. He's still limited in some ways to saving us. I'm a little tired of the aggrandizement of the devil, even sometimes among children of God because he really has no power compared to God. Amen. Sometimes we, we get up, and I've heard people get up and testify and tell about how uh, the devil's been on their back and he's been attacking them. Uh, heard about one individual got up and said uh, the devil had really been uh, singling them out and, and uh, really been struggling with him. And uh, matter of fact, he, he'd been so busy on them, he probably didn't have time for anybody else. Just a, just a, such an intense attack of the enemy. And the pastor got up and said, I rebuke that spirit of pride. To think that the devil, you're the only one he's got to think about. It. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not like God is. He, he's not everywhere at all times. He's nothing compared to my Jesus. The devil is not the opposite of God. Oh, I know that rattles some of you the, theological minds this morning, but he's not the opposite of God because that would make him an equal with God. He is not as powerful in evil and wickedness and sin as God is in good and righteousness and forgiveness. No, the devil is not the opposite of God. He's not even in the same league with God. He's not even in the same ballpark with God. He's not even in the same game with God. Oh, he's not an opposite with God. He hasn't the power. He hasn't the majesty. He hasn't the might. He hasn't the strength. He hasn't the awesomeness of God. But one thing that proves, amen, that he he is not an opposite or even in the same league with God more than anything else, and that is the fact
1: that he failed.
0: And any time he wants to condemn you and run you down and push you down in condemnation and guilt and shame and tell you that you failed and you made a mistake and you messed up, you need to remind him that he messed up in heaven when there was no devil, when there was no temptation, when there was no sin. In the very presence of God, he turned his back on him. Amen. You better not condemn me, devil, when I come to church and I still endeavor to lift up my voice and praise the Lord. I still endeavor to walk in righteousness. I still endeavor to live the truth. Amen. You're not going to push me down and condemn me because I try to live for God. Amen. With all the forces of hell against me, I'm thankful that I'm in the church and I'm living for God and greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. That's right. Come on. Come on, let's get this straight here today. Let, let's, let's talk about this Let's get an understanding with the devil. You're not an equal. There's nothing that proves this more than the fact that you couldn't make it in heaven in a perfect place. You let pride get a hold of you in a perfect place. You didn't have a tempter. You didn't have an accuser. You didn't have someone to lie to you. You had a perfect environment and atmosphere to live for God and you couldn't make it. Who are you talking about being a failure? Who are you talking about not able to make it? Who are you talking about that's made a mistake? You're the biggest failure that ever lived you're not an equal with God we're serving a God that reigns supreme he said there's no God before me there's no God beside me and there'll be no God in the future to take my place I am hallelujah do you know what that is that's forever present he said I am yeah. Moses said who am I to say sent me to faith he said you tell him the I am sent you Amen. I am, that's forever prayer. I've been here all along, and I'll be here when it's all said and done. I am. Aren't you thankful that you're serving the I am this morning? Praise the Lord. Clap your hands and let's give praise to the Lord. God has never failed. The second aspect of God's nature that limits him is God cannot make a mistake if he sees the end from the beginning and if nothing is hidden from him even the secret motives of my heart the Bible said that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to discern the thoughts and the intents the motives of my heart somebody said if I know my heart you don't know your heart amen But God knows your heart. Well, if I know my motives, sometimes we don't even know all that is within us. You let that that presence of God lift from you. You let let the Holy Ghost vacate you. you. You try to live for God or even try to live in this world without God's Spirit guiding you, and you'll find out that there's more in your heart than you ever dreamed that there was. Because one writer said, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And who can know it? But God knows it. God knows it. And if God knows all these things, if he sees all things and he knows all things, then nothing can sneak up on God. Nothing can outmaneuver or outsmart God. God's not like us. He never has to say, oops. He never has to say, well, I wish I would get a rerun. He never says, let me have a second chance. He never has to say, I I, I want to try that again. No, God never makes a mistake. And that's why you can trust him. I've had to explain to people, and I've been involved in ministering to folks that have had to deal with untimely deaths. You know, there's some things that just shouldn't happen, it seems like, to our logical mind. It just seems like it shouldn't be this way. For a, for a parent to have to lose a small child, it just it doesn't seem something that we can get our minds around and we can grasp. To have to sit across from folks, pray with people, and offer words of encouragement. Many times there's very little words to be said. I, I don't try to explain God's business or why things happen as they do. But I know that God is Are too wise to make a mistake. And one, I suppose, the most difficult scriptures to explain in all the Word of God is Romans 8 and 28. We like to quote it when when we're going through small trials and when we're going through a little patch of dryness or, or walking in a desert place in our spiritual experience, but when we've got some deep hurts and excruciating situations in our lives, it's a little bit more difficult to explain. And that verse is simply this, and we know that all things work together for the good, to them that love God and to them that are the called according to His purpose. It's a lot easier to quote to somebody else and to give them that verse than it is for you to live it yourself many times. Notice it does not just say some things work together for the good, but it says that all things, not just the positives, but also the negatives work together. It says that they work together. Not not any one of them by themselves could fulfill the purpose of God in my life. Not any situation in and of itself should define my life, but it's the whole sum of my life. It's everything together. It's all of it added up together that that makes and equals the, the entirety of my life and defines my life. It's not just one situation or one trial. It's not just one day. It's not just, aren't you thankful that it's not just one day that defines your life? What if it's the worst day that you ever had? And I'm not just talking about the things you had to go through. I'm talking about the decisions that you made and the mistakes that you made and and the difficulties and the challenges and how you responded to them, the flashes of anger. Oh, come on now, you ain't all sanctified. Amen. What if that was the day that you made a few boo-boos and got some black marks next to your name, and if God was a teacher, he'd have sent you home with a frown on your chest instead of one of them little smiley faces. I can't tell you how many of them frowns I got going home with with me from kindergarten. Jason can't seem to keep his hands to himself. Jason can't seem to keep his mouth shut. Well, I'm just five years old. But aren't you thankful that kindergarten don't define your whole life? Or your teenage years, thank God they don't define your whole life. Thank God that, that you're, even for some, your early 20s didn't define your whole life. Or that period of time that you walked away from God does not define your whole life. Or maybe it's not just a few weeks or months, maybe it's even years and you're thankful that those wasted years don't define your whole life. But all things work together for the good, for them that are called according to His purpose. You see His, pers- his, his purpose is bigger than anything else and it's more important than anything else. It's bigger than personality. Come on. It's bigger than Bigger than persons involved. The purpose of God being fulfilled. The eternal purpose of God. There's a lot of things that are expendable so that that purpose can be fulfilled. There's a lot of things that may go into a life so that that purpose can be fulfilled. There's a lot of things you may have to walk through that you don't understand, quite frankly, so that that purpose can be fulfilled. But God knows. He knows what it's going to take to keep me on my knees. He knows what it's going to take to keep me committed. He knows what it's going to take to keep me walking with Him. He knows what it's going to take for me to ultimately trust Him. Because if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to get beyond that dimension of faith and get into trusting God. Because faith will get you in this thing, but faith will not always keep you through everything. And I think that trust is really just a... uh, if I could describe it this way, just a deeper dimension of that. Trusting God is believing Him when your faith that He was going to change the situation failed. Or not that your faith failed necessarily as that God knew better and didn't necessarily answer that prayer. There is some things that we need to be thankful for, and one of them is unanswered prayers. If God had given you everything you wanted, you can see now that it probably wouldn't have been the best thing for you. I mean, you thought that this is the perfect will of God. You tried to make it fit into the plan of God, but God said, no, I've got a bigger purpose. I've got a bigger plan, and all things work together. Life cannot be explained in glimpses and snapshots, but it's the whole story that reveals God's purpose many times. God is not only limited by His nature, but God has also limited Himself by His Word. He Himself is bound by it. He cannot break His Word. One of these self-imposed limitations is is found in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. God not only does not lie, but he cannot lie. He restricted himself by his word, he has bound himself by his covenants. God cannot lie. If God ever made your promise, you understand that God is able and he will fulfill that promise. said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You don't have to worry about the church. You don't have to worry whether the church is going to survive. I know we're living in shaky times but you don't have to worry about the church surviving. Amen. You don't have to worry whether the church is going to make it through whether the church is going to survive all of the onslaught of sin and wickedness that is in this world. I'm telling you, this church is built on the rock, and the Bible said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Amen. This church is predestined. I don't believe in the predestination of souls, but I do believe in the predestination of the church. This church is going to come out. The Bible said there is going to be a remnant that is going to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that he is coming back for a glorious church. Amen. The question is is whether or not I'm going to be a part of the church, whether I'm going to be in this, this vehicle called the church that is going to take me to heaven. Say it this way, he said, it's kind of like a bus that has on the front of it going to Los Angeles, amen. It's going to Los Angeles, it's already been predetermined. Those that are in control of the situation have already uh, predestined that bus to go to Los Angeles. Uh, It may make many stops on the way and pick up different passengers, and there may be some that get on, and there may be some that get off, but the bus is going to end up in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm telling you, this bus is going to heaven. This church is going to heaven. There's going to be a lot of folks that are going to get on, and there's going to be some that's going to get off, but this bus is still going to heaven, and it's the question whether or not you're going to be on the bus when it gets there. The question not where, not as where this church is headed, not where this church is going. It, the question is not that this church is going to make it. This church is not going to fail. It's whether or not you're going to be a part of the church. That's the question. Praise the Lord. And so, we don't have to worry about the church. When the Word of God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, you don't have to fret because God is not going to forget you. He said, to his people. He said, I have engraved you on the palms. It's in the book of Isaiah. i have engraving you on the palms of my hand. He said, shall a woman forget her sucking child, or nursing child? He said it would be against nature. It would be against instinct for a mother to forget her nursing child though she may forget. And we know we're living in a world where that's happening. Finding babies in garbage dumpsters and on the front porch of businesses where their mothers have abandoned them. He said that may happen as unusual and as, uh, as going against human nature as that may be. Amen. And going against instinct that has been placed there by God. That may happen. But I'm telling you, I'll not forget you. I'll not forsake you. i have engraven you on the palm of my hand. Praise the Lord. And how much more uh, does that mean to us than it did even in the day that Isaiah wrote those words or spoke those words? Uh, what he was speaking was really prophetic because you and I are living it out because we know in his hands are nail prints uh, where he went to a cross and he died. He shed his blood for our sin. You think he forgets you after going through all of that to purchase your salvation? You got another thought coming. He'll never leave you nor will he ever forsake you. So I come against that fear that tells you that God has forsaken you. I come against that, that worry and dread and that condemnation that God has walked away from. He said, I'll never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. Then the word of God says, if there be any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord the prayer of faith the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up if the word of God says that then we're not just going through the motions when we get that little canister of oil a bottle of oil we walk down and we put a little on your head and we pray in faith if it says that you can believe it You can trust him because God cannot lie. Man can lie, the devil can lie, but God can't lie. And when he said in his word in my father's house are many mansions, and if we're not so, you know me, I can't lie, I would not have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive unto myself. Can I tell you, we're not living this Christian life in vain. We're not here by accident we're here purposely this morning because we're laying hold of that promise in the word of God that we're standing on the word of God that this, this world is not my home I'm just a passing through oh my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue that someday a trumpet's gonna sound that if he went away he's gonna come again in like manner and he's gonna receive us unto himself and we're gonna be caught up to meet those in the air and so forever we will be with the Lord that That's the promise I'm hanging on to. That's why I'm here this morning. Uh, Amen. I know that my hope is not in this life, in this world. And not only in the things that are down here, but my hope's in him. I'm not just living for here. If you're just living for this world, this life, this uh, 70, 80 years, the Bible said you're guaranteed really not even guaranteed that, but it did say that our lives are three score and ten, seventy years, and by strength we may get to eighty. Is that what it says? But then, then it's over. Then it's eternity. If all I'm living for is this, I'm like Paul, above all men most miserable. This is all that there is. This is pretty pitiful. Amen. Praise God. Even with all the advancements we've made and all the blessings we have, and I'm thankful for it. I, but but the thing that I hold on to is that someday we're going to escape. I said, someday we're going to go to be with Jesus. Someday we're going to see Him. Someday, Amen. And then eternity. And I'm going to tell you this: this little 80 years here, if you live that long, will seem like a blink compared to eternity but I'm thankful that I could stand on the word of God that I don't have to be lost I don't have just to live for this world but I got hope beyond this world hallelujah and he told me that he'd come again for me praise the Lord I'm looking forward to that day aren't you I said I'm looking forward to that day you may not understand everything that has transpired in your life or is transpiring. But know that God is far too wise to make a mistake. And when the books are balanced when the final light is turned out, then we will understand why God allowed it to be this way. The Bible says behold now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face then that we'll be able to put all the pieces to the puzzle together. It's only then that you'll understand everything. But You've got to believe now that God is far too wise to make a mistake. And God is not only limited by his own nature. He's not only limited by his word, but he's also limited by you and I. You and I have the ability to limit God. It is almost incomprehensible to consider that mere human flesh that God created can put limits on God. But he, he, he makes it clear in His Word that we can. There's so many ways that we can restrict and we can shut off the will of God, the moving of God in our lives. We hold in our hands blessings and cursings, We hold in our hearts the ability to receive or to reject God. We can limit God. And one of the ways that we limit Him is when we do not believe Him. When it's just another church service to us, then that's all it will ever be. When it's just another Sunday morning, then that's all it can ever be. When it's just another preacher preaching it's just the pastor up preaching a sermon again then that's all it will ever be to us because that's all we dare to believe God for but if we dare to believe God then any service could be a miracle service whether it be Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, then that's what it will be to us. When we dare to believe, God, that this could be the time that God answers my prayer that I've been praying, then that is when he's going to answer. When when, when we dare to believe, God, that that our desires could be fulfilled and our dreams could be made in, in a service like this, uh, then that's what God will begin to do in our midst. But as long as we restrict him through unbelief, and doubt. If we could just believe God, there's no limit to what God could really do in our lives. The Bible tells me that, that Jesus, at a certain point in his life, was like it crossed over, it came to that fulfillment of age, and he went to his hometown place where he had been brought up, the Scripture says, to that little town, that little village of Nazareth. He went to that little synagogue. He could have he picked the great cathedrals. He could have went to the bigger synagogues. He could have went to the bigger cities, but he wanted to start out with those hometown folks because there's nobody that he loved or was more connected to or felt any more sympathy towards than those people that he was raised with. He knew them. He knew the ones that were hurting He knew the ones that had had bad family situations. He he was aware, and he knew the ones that were handicapped, and he knew the ones that had been wounded. He knew the ones that had suffered disease and sickness in their bodies. And this is where he wanted to start his miracle ministry. And he went to church, and the priest handed him the book when he stood up for it to read, and he began to read about what he had came to do, how that he had came to minister and to heal and to deliver and to bring, as we would say, revival to that community. And the scripture says this: that they were astonished at first; they were taken aback. But finally, somebody from the back of the room stands up and, with a loud voice, they said, "Is this not the carpenter's son? Who's he think he is? Isn't this just Joseph and Mary's boy?" This is the toddler that was raised up around here. We know who this is. Why is he trying to make himself some kind of prophet, some kind of man of God? We, we know where he was raised. We know that he came from this little village. We know the very carpenter shop that he learned to drive nails in. We, we know who he is. And when they said, is this not just the carpenter's son, what they were actually saying is this, it's just another service. It's just another reader. It's just another get-together. It's just another time of fellowship. It's just another traditional... Service that we're going to have today. There's nothing special. And it was like every bit of expectation was sucked out of the air. It was like every miracle was drained out of that building. Every bit of faith and and what could have happened and what could have been. Suddenly it was just evaporated in one statement, in one moment of unbelief. Uh, They said it's just another preacher. It's just another time of gathering together. It's just another time of reading the Scripture. There's nothing special. special about this. When someone in the church gets fired up begins to worship God and feel the presence of the Lord, and we fold our arms and say, well, there's nothing overly special about that. I've seen them get excited before. They'll cool off. Give them a week or two. They won't be shot like that after a while. What we're really saying is, Is that not just the carpenter's son? Isn't that just the boy from Nazareth? when maybe there was the potential for revival maybe there was the potential for God to do something great Oh, I, I when somebody really starts praying and agonizing before God and seeking the face of God and we sit back and we, we don't engage in what God is doing and we, we just feel like it'll happen again or it'll be a, another service just like this uh, what we're actually saying is just like those folks at Nazareth it's just the carpenters, son it's just another service it's just another reader it's just the word of God when God wanted for that to be a moment that that little village would never forget when it was the intent of the Lord to give them a revival like they had never seen in all of their history the Bible says instead of receiving him they rejected him and it goes even further to say that they were offended in him I'm going to tell you those that choose to live in doubt it's offensive when somebody steps out in faith When those that are comfortable in their traditional thinking and mentality, the church has to be just this way. And we can't step out of the bounds of this right here. When somebody gets hungry, they don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. They can't ride with it. It goes against their grain. It offends them. When somebody says, I'm too hungry just to sit here. I gotta reach out to God. I gotta pray. I gotta worship. I gotta get out in the aisles. I've seen some churches that actually got offended when people stepped out and started worshiping God with all of their heart. Why? Because it condemned their inactivity. It condemned their doubt. It condemned their complacency. I'm going to tell you, if you're uncomfortable with apostolic hunger, you're going to be uncomfortable around here because I am not satisfied with just having church. I am not satisfied with just going through the motions. i got to have something. From God. I've got to receive my mirror if there's potential today for revival. God, I want to have revival. I found out a long time ago the price of not having revival is far greater than the price of having a revival. The cost of not having one far exceeds the cost of having one. When you think about your children going to hell, when you think about your children walking out on God, because we were reluctant to worship God. We were reluctant to give God glory. We were reluctant to believe God. We were reluctant to have church like we know how to have church. The cost cost is far greater when you consider that we don't have the luxury of having down services we don't have the luxury in the end time of just coming to church and patty we don't have the luxury for you to come and say, I'm tired this morning. I don't feel like worshiping God. You need to get off your backside and worship God because you got children and grandchildren in this house that need to hear from God. They need a touch of God in their life. And if you think I'm gonna sit there like I'm velcroed to a pew when God has forgiven me and saved me and filled me with the Holy Ghost, you got another thought coming. some of you need a sense of urgency to get a hold of you again urgency like you had when you came to an altar and repented your sins and said God I realize if you don't fill me with the Holy Ghost I'm not going to be saved that's the kind of urgency that needs to get a hold of you again amen we limit God we limit Him because of our unbelief because of our lack of faith in God. Can you say praise the Lord? They said, We don't want you here. Matter of fact, they, they were going to take him and cast him down a hill off of a cliff. Kill him. That's how offended they got. You know what a revivalist they, uh, those that are doubters and those that are unbelievers and those that are carnal, they'll never understand. Them. Matter of fact, they want to kill their influence. Amen. You take a preacher that is red hot and on fire and anointed, somebody's got sin in their life, they want to kill them. They want to shut their mouth. They want to stop their influence. Amen. The Bible said he passed through the midst of them and went his way. And where did he go? He went to Capernaum. The Bible says it was just about evening time. And they brought the sick. They brought the afflicted. They brought the hurting. They said, we got time for you. We believe you. And when they brought them, the Bible says this, that he healed them, everyone. He said, since you got time for me, I got time for you. It doesn't matter how long this takes, how long this healing line is, I'm going to heal every last one of you because you had faith to believe me. You had faith to get up where you were and come to where I am. The Bible said in Nazareth that he healed just a few sick folks and then he went on his way to Capernaum and he healed everyone. I want to ask you, what do you want? Do you want just a few miracles or do you want everyone being healed? Everyone being touched. Everyone being affected. Everyone being changed. Everyone that needs the Holy Ghost getting the Holy Ghost. Everyone Amen, that needs the touch of God, getting what they need from God. Everyone being affected. A city being shaken without a strong revival. What What kind of revival do you want? I don't want my lack of faith and my inability to believe God to cause him to move somewhere else. Amen. I don't want to limit him. We can also limit God when we refuse to forgive. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Some people get so hung up and they stop and they limit God's ability to move in their life because of something they're hanging on to that happened 20 years ago. Or it could have happened last week for all that, all that matters. It's all the same. It stops God. It hinders God. Amen. You need to let it go. You need to relinquish that. You need to release that. And when you release that, you're going to release God's presence to move in your life. You're going to release him to be able to touch you and heal you and work for you in ways that you never dreamed of. But lastly, we limit God when we fail to commit. When we hold back, we cut him off. When we are limited in our commitment, then we limit God to be able to move in our lives. Second Timothy, let me read just a few more verses than we did in our text. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, be thou, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given given us in in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also separate these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to commit or to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is able to keep that which I have committed. He can't hold anything that I don't commit to him. He can't keep anything that I don't commit to Him. He can't help me with anything that I don't commit to Him. God's hands are big enough. They're strong enough to hold anything. But He cannot hold what I don't put in His hands. All of my life, all the burdens and the cares and the concerns of my life, God can hold in His hands. But He can't hold them until I place them there. He can't carry me until I'm willing to lean upon him, until I'm willing to commit to him. You see, when we fail to commit, he said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. But so many times we come with our cares and we we talk to God about it. We kneel down at the altar and we agonize over them and we we, we pray and we seek God that something could change when it comes to the cares of our lives something could turn around and then we gather those cares right back up and we don't leave them on the altar we don't leave them in the hands of God but we carry them right back out to deal and wrestle with them another week uh, what God is saying in this scripture is you got to be willing to commit it into my hands, uh, you got to be willing to trust me with it, I'm telling you you've done everything you can do to try to change it, uh, you've done everything you can do to try, amen, for it to be different in your life uh, and to manipulate the situation. You've tried uh, through your own abilities uh, to make it different than what it is right now. That God is saying if you're willing to commit it to me, I'll carry it. I'll hold it. Uh, I'll take care of it. Uh, I'll be there for you. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Commit it. Why are we so often reluctant to commit to God? Why are we so often reluctant to release it to God? Why do we think we can do more with it than God can? Why do we sometimes fail to trust God with our situations and say, God, I believe, I believe that you're wiser than I you have more influence than I do. And you're able to change this if I'll trust you with it and commit it into your hands. You've got burdens here today. You've got concerns. You've got prayers. You've got things that you're seeking God for understanding and wisdom of how to handle them. Maybe he doesn't want you to handle it at all. Maybe he wants you just to give it to him and back away from it and say, God, it's in your hands now. Maybe there's a difficulty that's too great for you and he wants to get all the glory because, see, if you get to manipulate the situation, if you get to tinker with it and you, you, you get to deal with it and you, you get it figured out, then you'll, you'll, you're the one that will take the glory for it. But sometimes life gets so complex that he said, you have to commit it to me. Sometimes the challenge gets so great, he said, you know what? It's out of your hands you got to put it in mind because you're not going to be able to change it. You're not going to be able to do anything with it. It's bigger than you are. Hallelujah. And we burden ourselves down and we load ourselves down and uh we, we carry this thing until it beats us down and beats just about the last drop of faith out of us and we live underneath that burden and we live underneath that concern and worry and fear and and God said that's never the way that it's supposed to be because my yoke is easy, my burden's light. He said, but the problem is is you're trying to carry burdens that was never intended for you to carry. You're trying to carry things uh, that was never intended for you to hold in your hand. You were supposed to put them in my hand a long time ago. Why don't you put that unsung? Child in God's hands and worship God and live for God in joy. Amen. You say, you know, I can't have joy as long as they're still out there. I'm telling you, joy doesn't come from the happiness of life and the happenings of life. Joy comes from a totally different source. It comes from God and God's able to give strength and God's able to give joy. You're able to lift up your head and say, you know what? I can't control that situation. I can't control that that, that deal at all. I'm gonna place it in God's hands. Come on, the doctor told you that things ain't ever going to get better. Put that in God's hands and come to church and worship God and believe God that it's going to change. Because if you keep trying to carry things that were meant to be committed to God, it's going to beat you down. And your faith is going to be crushed in the dust. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Why don't you slip up those hands to the Lord right now? Don't limit God. Don't limit God this morning. Come on, lift those hands. Say, God, I surrender. I yield it to you. My future, I put it in your hands. My job situation, I commit it to you. My family problems, I commit them to you. My health, I commit it to you. And I'm going to trust you, God. As if somebody want, wants to come and make some commitments to God, some, put some things in God's hands this morning. Would you step out where you are? Would you make your way? Come on now. Am I the only one that feels the intensity of this? Oh, God wants to move here this morning. Is there somebody who wants to commit it to him? you worried with it as long as you can worry with it. You, you've had it on your heart. You've carried it around, and it's, and it's been a burden to you as long as it should be. Let's commit it to God Let's put it in God's hands. Let's put it in the judge of all the earth's hands. Let's trust God with it. Let's believe the Lord. Let's ask God to help us. Oh, come on now. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's seek the face of God. Let's call on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah hallelujah oh I commit it to you Savior I give it all to you God Thank you,
1: Jesus. Oh, oh here I
0: God with the lack of willingness to commit. I give all my commit it to, self Trust to you. Place it in his hands. Here
1: I To be here I am yes, oh Lord. Here
0: I asked him, I said, When when was the last time that she was able to eat or any nourishment? He said, It's been days. Been days. She's weak. She hasn't eaten anything, drink drank very little. And I thought that's the sign. That's the sign. When you lose your appetite, danger is imminent. Death is close. Brother Baloo and I have a friend in California. Passed away of a similar situation, diseased, cancerous liver. They said it'd been days since he'd eaten. You get him to drink very little. It's a sign. When you when you don't have an appetite, it's a sign. When all service is like this and you're not hungry. Sign. Amen. I'm saying this today. You better get hungry for God in these last days. Whatever you got to do. Sometimes the only way you can get hungry for God is you got to turn your own plate over. Say, I'm not going to eat until I get hungry for God. Amen. I'm going to go to the prayer room. I'm going to spend a little extra time. I'm going to tell you, is it really too much to ask for people to come 30 minutes early to pray? Even on Sunday morning, is it too much to ask? Praise the Lord. It's not too much to ask, especially we're living in the end times. We need to turn up the heat, folks. We need to get hungry for God. Praise the Lord. If I'm an if, uh, altar service, if I'm busy talking and distracted and thinking about what I'm going to do for lunch, I'm not hungry for God. Something's wrong with me. I need to shake myself. I need to be stirred. Praise the Lord. Would you lift your voice with me and let's pray one more time? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, help me to stay hungry for you. Help help these young people to get hungry for you. Oh, help these ladies over here to get hungry for you, God. Oh, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to be too, I don't, you know, I'm going to be hungry for something. It can be the world. It can be things of the world. It can be all that other filth and trash of the world. I don't want to lose my hunger for God. I've been talking about that a lot lately. But I've been sensing it. Amen. You get spiritually sick, you lose your hunger for God. Lose your hunger for prayer meetings and spending time in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I don't want to limit God because I'm, my responses, my reaction, my lack of getting involved. Praise the Lord. God bless you. We're going to have good church tonight. Let's come early for prayer, please. And uh, we're going to have Brother Blue preaching for us tonight. Choir practice at 5. Prayer. Prayer. Amen. So come early for prayer. Praise God. And we're going to have a good time in the Holy Ghost. God bless you in Jesus' name is our prayer.